0: Head to thenextreel.com slash merch.
1: Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today.
0: And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Andy, it is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since
1: 2011. You are telling me. Producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. Pee Wee's coming back and and Wes Anderson wants to open a theme park. <laughs>
0: <sighs> There's something so wrong about like those things. A Wes yes. Anderson theme park?
1: He doesn't really, but uh he 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 wrote a uh the uh little opening bit in, in uh Mark Mothersbaugh's book, which is just all I don't know, I guess he Mark Mothersbaugh aside from writing funky music. Um, just made a, you know, I don't know, he draws pictures of things, and so so Anderson wrote in the foreword, he said, I hope soon secure, I hope to soon secure the means to commission the construction of an important and sizable theme park to be conceived and designed entirely by Mark Mothersbaugh, and so people on the interwebs have taken that to uh, mean that Wes Anderson's going to open his own theme park. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's awesome. That is the most <laughs> awesome leap uh, that I've heard today, certainly.
1: It is, and it would be a fun theme park if, uh, if not uh, a little peculiar. But... Wow. <laughs> yes, and then you you know put Pee Wee Herman in it, and there you go. That would be, just be the perfect addition.
0: God, that's great. Yeah, I don't know which of which feels weirder, Pee Wee back on the big screen or. Is he going to be back on the big screen? Well, or is I don't it TV? know. It's, I think it's T. It's probably T. Well, I don't know. He says big screen. At time of recording, his mm. announcement says, yes, we will see the character of Pee Wee on the big screen. Now, maybe, TVs maybe just, are generally yeah. getting larger. Right. That could I, be what he means, that his TV is particularly large.
1: Right. He's just got a big screen. Yeah.
0: Could be. What was Pee Wee's best role for you? What do you think, really, when you think back Pee Wee's best role?
1: Other than Pee Wee? <laughs>
0: yeah. You know, Paul Rubens. Let's just say that. Let's go. Let's just we're gonna drop the pretense. Your favorite Paul Rubens film?
1: Uh I would I mean, I, I have only seen uh well, I guess I've seen three films of his, and I'd say Pee-Wee's Big Adventure. Really? I've only seen that, Pee Wee's trip to the circus or whatever the second one was called big top Wee, and uh then he was in batman returns
0: you haven't seen the smurfs too or the smurfs
1: i saw the smurfs
0: he's jokey smurf oh well yeah you I haven't have... seen you haven't seen the tron uprising he's that was small screen but that was a good animated I missed, series miss that he was in that you see uh you see uh what else you see
1: I never watched his TV show, Pee-wee's Playhouse. Never what about
0: uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer?
1: Oh, he was awesome in that. Right? That's that was, the one I was going to say. I wanted to that drop was, that one on you. That was brilliant. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, uh, uh, I did love that. I yeah. did love that. Thank you for bringing that back into my life.
0: You're welcome. You're welcome. You know, here's an, uh, a, a very small role, uh, but I think pivotal in his career, certainly, was uh, Tim Burton's Batman Returns.
1: Well, I mentioned that.
0: You did. Yeah, that was oh, the third. I clearly <laughs> wasn't paying attention to you at that point. Right. Uh, that's. Uh, cool. There are times when we. And, uh, I mean, we've been doing this show a long time. I think it's okay that, from time, and I know you do this to me, where you just tune each other out. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, uh, yeah, and it works really well in a show. In a podcast. Yeah, it
0: really does. It's a stra- strategic tune out. So let's uh, talk more that? about Batman yeah. Returns. Did you what's mention that? that? <laughs> uh, oh, goodness. Do you have any other news for the week?
1: 3001 is going to be made
0: into a, a TV show, right? Sci fi?
1: Yeah. Isn't that weird? Which
0: is weird because the story is about what's his name floating through space coming waking up yeah he
1: gets he gets found
0: you're now you read these kind of books like right? this is kind of your
1: thing right i've only read the first one actually i have not I read i saw any the of second them. crappy movie and never bothered uh reading the other book
0: excuse me roy scheider i think you well, just spoke ill of roy scheider living in a house of dolphins
1: it was in the 80s <laughs> Roy Schneider in the 70s man <laughs> I know I'm just saying there's a certain
0: amount of you know of leeway you cut a guy who takes parts where he has to live in a house with dolphins right yeah. that Do was so- that was about the period when I was I would spend an inordinate amount of time uh, on construction paper uh designing my future house which actually had floors of trampoline
1: nice yeah wow. you could have you could have started one of those uh chains that are everywhere now with all the Trampoline rooms. Well, for kids I to bounce around in.
0: Let's just say kindred spirits. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that it there was really it, the the more difficult part was that you ha- all the furniture had to be suspended from uh, the ceiling, right, right? But it had to be off the trampoline floor high enough that you could account for the rebound, right? So in order to like sit at the table, you'd have to like jump up to a chair, and it it would it would have been very difficult not to hurt your knees. Is all I'm saying. <laughs>
1: That's brilliant design. Brilliant, like six-year-old design. Well,
0: I, that this was actually uh, the, um, the sequel. This was the successor to my oh. house with, uh, with floors of swimming pool. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just imagine like there's your house, all the furniture is like nailed to the walls and suspended from the ceiling. But the floor is just water, just an eight-foot deep pool every wow. room even upstairs is a very big crawl space of just pool it's pool space between the floors and you have to uh, like climb a ladder to go upstairs but it's a water slide to come down <laughs> right of course. yeah
1: of course it is yeah i love it
0: shall we tell the people where we're from
1: <laughs> where are we from <laughs>
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the next reel. I'm Pete Wright. That there is Andy Nelson. Hi. Hey, Andy. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) I went a little Mayberry on you just just for a second there.
1: (laughs) I I may regret that. Uh, What what am I supposed to say? Howdy. (laughs)
0: Howdy, Andy. Uh, Okay. Hey, you know, we spoil movies. Thanks for joining us on this uh, this fine uh, evening. Uh, We are... uh, uh, this is a good movie we're going to be talking about tonight. I'm pretty excited about it.
1: Yeah, start of a new series.
0: Start of a new series is it a new series, sort mm-hmm. of a continuation of a series.
1: It's kind of a continuation, right? I mean, the other one was drama of the Brothers Cohen. This is kind of comedy of the Brothers Cohen. But really, it's, it's the Brothers Cohen. Yes. Right. Who are we kidding? Who are we kidding? That's right.
0: So you got to get to know us. You got to head over to the website and catch up with all of our uh, all the past shows we've done and uh, the uh, uh, the monthly film board. Uh, we get the gang of thugs together. We talk about a new release movie once a month. We got another one of those coming right up. Very excited about it. Uh, head over to Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh, you know, wherever Instagram. We're there. You could head over as I said. Letterbox. We're on all of the great uh, social platforms. We would love you to get into uh, join us in the conversation online about your favorite movies. And with that, Andy, I think we need to talk about uh, Instagram hashtag Guess the Movie hashtag Pony Prize Challenge. How did we do? Did we officially release and see a full-grown, uh, bona fide Kraken this week? The Kraken was
1: released. The Kraken I- will abide. <laughs> I would say that it was a pretty good Kraken this week. I mean, it was <laughs> it was a real stumper for people. I don't yeah. think. I don't think that many people uh, are that familiar with the film that we ended up going with this week. Uh, Steven, I think, uh, oddly found a film that I would call obscure, even though it only came out last year. And it's called Tracks, uh, directed by John Curran uh, with Mia Wasikowska and Adam Driver. Two, for, you know, pretty, I mean, they're in things. Yes, they're they're uh-huh. in things. That's right. Adam Driver, he's going to be in the new Star Wars thing, you know, and and Mia is Alice in Wonderland. Also in things. She's been in things. Uh, But yeah, so it, you know, it took a good few days for people to, uh, you know, really a lot of random guesses and some pictures that just had not a single guess because people were that stumped. But, you know, by image... Uh, five, Alexander C. Curran, no relation to the director, uh, ended up uh, figuring it out and ended up uh, taking it home, and he's entered to win the Pony Prize. That's fantastic. I think what
0: what I find uh, really amusing is uh, just how Cameron L. Ryan and Alexander C. Curran and Mr. Televist and and of course Blot have it's become part of word. our behind the scenes vernacular. <laughs> <laughs> if only they knew. Shh, right. Don't tell them. If only they knew that at this point we exist to stump them quite specifically. <laughs> right,
1: exactly.
0: Uh, I think I think that'll that's great. I hope they never find out that that's what we do.
1: I hope not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this has become the thing I look forward to the very most about this show. So I'm glad to uh I'm <laughs> glad to see that the Kraken was officially released and though no, we don't necessarily need to call that sweet labrador the Kraken. That is a, a mighty mean dog, to, or a mighty mean name for a dog.
1: Well, maybe the camel. <laughs>
0: Kraken the camel. It actually has a nice uh, yeah. ring to it. Yeah, I think it works. Uh, and now, Andrew, mm-hmm. let's do trailers.
1: I think you should go first. Okay, I I'm going to go first. The trailer I am talking about, I'm pretty excited about. It's uh Clint Eastwood's new movie American Sniper, which um you know, it's it's weird that it's just had some odd press going along with it over the last uh several years because this is based on a true story of a uh sniper in the in the uh Navy Seals called the most lethal sniper in American military history who um uh claim i mean it, the story is his story about how he was a sniper and how he was uh you know in the Iraq war and i mean he claims to have uh he has 160 confirmed kills and uh out of 255 probable kills which is crazy crazy um, yeah so it's it's kind of his story uh, but then there was this weird thing going on with him, where he claimed like he wrote a book about it after he was uh honorably discharged from the from the military and he wrote this book about his experience and in it he claimed to uh have at, at one point gotten in a fight with uh um Jesse Ventura at a bar and this weird thing and then jesse uh you know sued him for uh, lying and all this stuff, and it was this weird thing. And then, and then this guy ended up getting killed. Uh, uh, Chris Kyle ended up getting killed. Um, and this whole trial kept going on. It's just it was this very strange thing that's kind of been following this story. But remove all of that, and I've got to say, this trailer is very engrossing. And it, it it's a very I mean it's it's a teaser really. It's, it's just kind of almost showing it this kind of one scene. Of, the, uh, of this guy's story as Bradley Cooper, who's who's playing Chris Kyle, is basically trying to uh, figure out who he's going to take out. And I don't know where, you know, where it takes place in the story, if this is like the beginning of his reign as the most lethal sniper or what. But, I mean, clearly he's left with some pretty difficult choices in this trailer. You know, does he kill the nun? Does he kill the kid? Does he kill the guy on a phone? It's like, ugh, not a job that I would want. Yeah, but that's... it's incredibly tense, and... You know, Clint Eastwood coming from Clint Eastwood, he's a director who can make great stuff or who can make some stuff that I just really have no interest in seeing. And this falls into the hopefully great stuff category.
0: I hope so too. I you know you're right about the trailer it really is incredible I mean you, you just you just really want to keep it going you just have to see how this shakes out it's it's one of the better trailers I think we've seen coming um, this year certainly uh, so I'm very excited about that uh, you know there are times when the controversy at the head of this particular publicity train uh, is enough to take a little bit of the wind out of your sails uh, and so I'm 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 torn on on that just the the hubbub around this movie. I, I really, I think Bradley Cooper looks great. I'm liking him more and more. Uh, he is, he's just, uh, I think he's a really strong talent and I'm, I look forward to seeing this, seeing him in this film.
1: Yeah. Uh, he's, he's got
0: a couple of interesting ones coming out. I, I didn't choose this particular trailer this week. I'm not sure we will, uh, talk about it, but Serena is another one coming out, uh, shortly with, um, uh, him and, um, uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, and it, it's, a uh, uh, sort of a high high period drama that looks really, really interesting. If you haven't caught that one, it's another one to look out for. He plays a very, very different character uh, in this film. And I think it's really wonderful to see him back to back, you know, in these, these two movies coming down that are so, the, the parts are just so diametrically opposed in character. It's really, really an interesting mashup for him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then he's going to be in a, a, a new Stephen Knight penned film uh, directed by John Wells. And and we like Stephen Knight. He we is do. a great writer director. And then he's going to be in uh, Cameron Crowe's new project. And we sometimes like Cameron Crowe.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, I so when does this come out? Did you say?
1: It's. I didn't. It actually is going to be a limited release on Christmas Day, and then it will uh, it'll push wider in the beginning of 2015. So it's one of those holiday release push, trying to get uh, some award buzz going for yeah. it.
0: Well, mine, actually, I, uh, I don't know the exact release date of this one. It's, uh, it's, it says 2014, but I think it's, it's the uh, comedic spiritual sequel uh, to American Sniper. It's called Let's Kill Ward's Wife. Uh, and it's the... <laughs> <laughs> Thank God you laughed. <laughs> uh, it's going to be really dark. Yeah. Um, it is a comedy uh, written and directed by Scott Foley. Uh, I, you know, this Scott Foley, he's one of those guys uh he's on he's on my best friends that haven't met me list uh but um uh, i don't know that we're we're going to cross paths he's just a generally likable guy he's done a lot of tv he's uh, you know he just he's he's, he's like a, 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 a he's like a sensitive uh modern man that's what I, that's what i <laughs> like about scott foley and this film uh this uh, let's kill ward's wife is about a bunch of of uh, guys who get together and they think one of their dear friends ward in this example, has a wife who is not terribly likable, and so they plot uh, to kill her. And it's the story of this uh, this assassin, assassination attempt, um, or this assassination, I should say. Judging by the trailer, <laughs> I think they I think they uh, finished the job. Uh, it looks uh, it looks very funny. I find myself chuckling uh, throughout this one. I, do you remember the movie? I know I made you watch this twenty years ago. Uh, that was the the one about the the guys who. The the like college age people who live live in this shared house and they invite people over for dinner and kill them and when they disagree. Oh, yeah. Cameron, and then they... Cameron Diaz. Yeah, Cameron Diaz. What was that what was that called?
1: Um, I can't remember, but I remember finding it really interesting. It was, it was very early in her career. Let me Look, it was uh, The Last Supper. The Last
0: Supper. That's right. That's right. That was exactly it. And so it's it's that same sort of vibe, right? You know, maybe not quite as intelligent of humor as as The Last Supper, which I thought was really bright. Um, But this, um, you know, this one just had me chuckling, uh, you know, straight through. Here's hoping that all the funny parts were not in the trailer.
1: This is one that I hope works um because it it can really kind of cross a line into something that i find much more uncomfortable like um uh what was that movie um very bad things mm. which which i just really found repulsive and horrible <laughs> i found very bad yeah and um and so and, and again that was about guys on a uh taking their buddy on a bachelor party in vegas and they end up accidentally killing a prostitute and then it devolves as they try to figure out what to do. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. And I really hated that film. And so I don't want this film to be that film because this has people in it that I like. Yeah. And it looks, it, looks like it's, uh, it looks like it could be on the right track. So I'm hoping it is.
0: You know, I, I agree with you. If they keep it light and keep that, that, the dark humor light and, and sort of fluffy, I think yeah. it has a chance to be something that's really worth chuckling about. Yeah, here's hoping I have high hope for hopes for this one it just says 2014 as far as I can find unless you have a, a better date
1: no I don't I don't have anything so who I see knows? I see a limited lim, limited release January 9th 2015 is what I see
0: all right well so there we go mm-hmm. get your tickets now just go stand in line and wait <laughs> uh Andy there's something wrong with my semen say that reminds me want to see a trailer <laughs> Son, you got a panty on your head. Just drive
1: fast, eh? Turn to the right! The first time I met Ed was in the county lockup in Tempe, Arizona. You're a flower, you are. A day I'll never forget. I do. You bet I do. Okay, then. My lawless years were behind me. Our child-rearing years lay ahead. But... (laughs) Biology conspired to keep his childless. You go right back up there and get me a toddler. I need a baby high, I got more than I can handle. At the time, his little plan seemed like the solution to all our problems. And the answer to all our prayers. He's beautiful. What? Are you kidding? We got us a family here.
0: Uh, so this movie, uh, this movie, Andy, that we're doing mm-hmm. tonight, mm-hmm. 1987, uh, mm-hmm. comedy... Brothers Cohen, raising Arizona, sacred space in your heart. I know this film. This film
1: uh, holds. It, it is. It, it really. Is. It really does.
0: It's number thirty-one on the American Film Institute's Top One Hundred Years One Hundred Laughs list. Number thirty-one. Wow, that's high praise. Do you still? That's... Do you still laugh?
1: I laugh every time I see this movie. <laughs> This, this is one of those movies. I mean, this is, this is uh, quite possibly my favorite Coen Brothers film. If not, at least my favorite Coen Brothers comedy. It's like that and uh, No Country for Old Men are, are pretty high up there. But that, is Arizona, that is funny. That is really funny. <laughs> it's very, very different films. It's like, this is the comedy version of that. The part right? where he,
0: he kills those guys with that pump thing? <laughs> Hysterical.
1: So funny. Oh,
0: yeah. Stand up and howl.
1: (laughs) They, I, you know, I don't know. This is just one of those movies that hit me at the right time in my life. I saw it in the movie theater and I just have been in love with it ever since. And this is a movie that I, you know, (laughs) I could use this movie as a gauge to tell whether I'm really going to get along with somebody or not. (laughs) As long as they like this movie, I feel like we're okay. Like my my one of um, my dad's um, ex wives, she didn't like this movie, and, and, and we she, all know how that yeah, ended. up There's a reason that she's an ex wife because it's uh yeah she just she the whole idea of making a comedy about kidnapping was just so offensive to her. I just knew that it it wasn't going to work. <laughs>
0: You got to come into the family with a bar set. That's right. right. The That's bar right. is set at a certain point. Uh this this film is uh, you know I this is a uh, such a wonderful film for me not just because it is a brilliantly funny script. I mean it's it is a fantastic I, I was telling you before we started recording. This is one of those films that it, it's rare in this movie that I am laughing out loud, you know. It's not like that kind of a roller coaster for me. Um, but I think the the slow burn humor for me in this movie that I just I never stop chuckling. At, uh, uh, you know, I just never it never stops. The pacing is just perfect. Uh, the set pieces are just perfect. Uh, everything about it for me just hits me straight between the eyes and so you know i i think part of the reason i don't howl out loud at this movie is because i really want to hear what comes next even today as many times as i've seen it i really want to hear what comes next because there's there is so uh, there is so much going on that is just right with this film
1: yeah and it's endlessly quotable i mean i can probably quote well more than half of this film and there are lines that I use, you know, on a regular basis in my life. That just, I mean, they're they're great lines to use. They're just perfect. I mean, whether it's just like the the okay then, you know, or yeah. or, or, or son, you've got a penny on your head. <laughs> I if you unfortunately around, don't get used very often. You know,
0: <laughs> uh, you know but the, it's not just that the physical humor. You know, I I, I think Frances McDormand when she turns around and uh glenn cut cut it out glenn and she smacks him in the face with her purse (laughs) is one of the best physical bits in the film for me i just that's that's one that has me teetering on the edge of hysteria that whole sequence uh Mm -hmm. is just really wonderful um you know they they do some just wonderful things why don't you since you've since this this film is so high on your list why don't you uh walk through the premise of the film for us what what is it why is the premise funny
1: it's. I mean, it's a dark story. I mean, <laughs> the Coen brothers are not people who uh, ever tell just kind of a straightforward story that uh, kind of fits within uh, the parameters of what people would really expect. I mean, this is a story about an ex-con and an ex-law officer who are married and in love, but they can't have a baby um, because as the doctor says, uh, her insides are a rocky place where his seed can find no purchase. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, just another bit I love. But, uh, so then all of a sudden they hear that the Arizona quints are born and that's, you know, Nathan, Arizona, which everybody knows who he is. Um, you know the unpainted uh, furniture king of Arizona, and they just had quintuplets, and they think that the uh, Arizonas have more than they can handle, as the uh, the wife had said, and so they decide that they're going to kidnap one of the uh, the Arizona quints and make it their own, and uh, you know, comedy ensues from there.
0: They decide they have more than they can handle.
1: <laughs> uh, well, I will say, I certainly wouldn't. Be uh, one who could deal well with uh, quintuplets. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of babies.
0: That's a lot of babies. Yeah. Uh, the 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 film weaves together. I think this is one of the areas that I think it's they they just get so right this that they weave together these independent storylines. Um, you know, we have the we have the the marriage right. We have the the couple between uh, Ed uh, and uh, High. Uh, Holly Hunter and Nicholas Cage, and so we have their romance. And then we have uh you know the the surprising arrival of um uh, High's prison buddies, uh John Goodman and William Forsythe, uh, Gail and Evel Snotes, uh who who come and kind of make themselves at home. And then it becomes a kidnapping of a kidnapping, uh, as they discover that the baby is not um who it is purported to be uh, and they are out for the ransom, but then they fall in love with the baby. And then, you know, it becomes this sort of slapstick uh, slapstick sort of Russian nesting doll of a story. Uh, You know, then we then welcome uh, this uh, Francis McDormand's uh, angle where they realize, uh, you know, between uh, Glenn and, and dot, uh, that they realize that this baby is uh, they're they're going to hold them out for ransom and and uh, uh blackmail uh high and ed and it just becomes a giant mess and yet somehow the humor still makes sense as they weave together all of these sort of convoluted relationship stories um and and I I find it really still even to the very end uh when we meet the ultimate uh, uh arbiter of justice uh the the hired the hired uh, thug mm. or, what do they call him
1: the lone biker the lone, of the apocalypse yes the lone biker <laughs> of the apocalypse <laughs> leonard smalls <laughs> uh
0: to come and uh and and rescue the baby you know somebody's going to pay me whatever the market will bear uh <laughs> and uh and get the baby back and and meet his untimely demise Yes. They do that really well and this is an area I think where many of the, you know, the you know, sort of what could be legendary comedies uh end up falling apart because they they don't quite nail it.
1: Yeah, exactly. I I mean, it's it's I mean, it seems like a fairly simple premise, but it is a nice um way that the the Coens are kind of looking at the different uh Levels of kind of the world of the society with, with, you know, having a baby, how Ed and High, who can't have kids, want to create this world of normalcy, so to speak. They want to kind of fit into society. I mean, even uh, when Glenn and Dot, Sam McMurray and Francis McDormand's characters are coming over, uh, Glenn is High's boss. And as Ed says to uh, the two uh, escapees, John Goodman and William Forsythe, you know, we, we, you, you're going to have to leave. We, we have some decent people coming over. Um, they're trying to fit the mold, uh, Ed and High are trying to fit the mold of Glenn and Dot, kind of the, the middle class, upper middle class society people. And so they're trying to fit in with them. And of course, as we see when Glenn and Dot come over, they're clearly not anyone you would want to actually model after. Their kids are a nightmare. These people are swingers. And it's just they're they're just not people that you'd want to model after. And and Gale and Evel also kind of have their own weird familial situation that they've created. I mean, it's almost like they're they're given birth out of the prison, right? It's like, it's like they it's like this weird birthing scene that we watch as they escape from prison and they kind of yeah. you know come out of the womb of the earth. Of their hole in the in the rain and screaming i mean it's a, you know it's a weird birthing thing, but well, it's like yeah. they've got their own little family thing there it <laughs> is and
0: that that in particular is a is a wonderful sequence because the mud is is so uh visceral and well you know sloppy gross uh but <laughs> but you know glenn uh or um uh goodman uh he emerges from the ground uh and then he delivers his brother. Right, he reaches right. into the ground and delivers him by grabbing his leg, like he's a breach uh, right. from from <laughs> the earth. Uh, I I don't mean to interrupt you, but that scene is it, it it slays me every time.
1: Oh, I know, and it's just so strange, you know. It's this weird birthing scene of these two guys, and you know, as they escape prison, and then you've got them and their familial situation, and they they even talk about it, where it's just like um you know they left prison because oh it it they just didn't have anything for us anymore we needed to move on it's like in their continuing development as people they yeah. felt that they their time was done there and now it's time to go do something else and of course for them it's going and robbing a bank but i mean still that's how they kind of portray it it's kind of this oh it's time for us to kind of move on to the next step in our evolution and and then of course you also have the uh, the arizona family nathan Senior and his wife, and just kind of their uh, family that in a way is kind of the the familial situation that that Ed and Hy are striving for since they do steal one of their babies and are trying to work to kind of create something and so the Cohen brothers have created this really interesting story that is hilarious on all counts uh, but it's it 's also kind of this interesting examination of just kind of the uh, you know what people are looking for in life, and kind of the uh, the examination of um, uh, of of who we are and what we're trying to achieve in kind of the uh, the American dream.
0: Well, even to to sort of symbolize that by naming the main character High, mm-hmm. um, you know, is you know I think a testament to that. Uh, and and the way other characters relate to him, you know, you even get that sort of visually, uh, you know, that that when high is um for example, uh, you know I think that there is a, a that sequence when Glenn and dot show up at their house and you see um, you know everywhere that we're we're looking for at the kids there's always this sort of down angle from high when it's always his perspective he's looking down and so there is this sense that he is positioning himself at or or higher than uh, these people that he's aspiring to be like you know to have the kids to have the family life and 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 as he discovers that they're you know they're some of their tastes are unpalatable to him. Um, it, it gives him even more ammunition to be this guy that, and and to take socioeconomic and social control of of his family's destiny. Uh, and how he chooses to do that ends up being a giant mess. But but that's you can tell that his intentions uh, are are pure, uh, and th- those intentions are backed up visually in in the frame.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 shot very well to fit all of that too. And another interesting thing that ties all ties into this is uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, in the bathroom door, when after Gail and Evel escape and they're in the bathroom putting the uh, the the like brill cream sort of stuff into their hair, kind of cleaning sure. themselves up, written on the bathroom door is graffiti that says P O E O P E, which is likely a reference of the Coen brothers to Dr. Strangelove, uh, Kubrick's film, um, when, uh, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but he's writing P-O-E-O-P-E, uh, Peace on Earth, uh, a Purity of Essence, on a piece of paper. Um, and that's because that's kind of his code letters for... Uh, you know, the the, the 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 whole thing that he's set off as far as getting the doomsday device to go off and everything. And and just looking at pu- peace on earth and purity of essence also ties into, you know, kind of the, the perfect family and creating this peaceful situation. And purity of essence is, you know, this idea of being able to have a child. And of course, here is this family who they want to be a family, but they can't have children. And so it's just another little, nice little, Nugget that the Coen brothers throw in there that kind of tie it all together.
0: Just you, you bring up the letters on the door, and it makes me think of other letters on walls. Uh, And (laughs) and one of the scenes that I think is so wonderful is uh, this—you know—is when Glenn says, uh, you know, he he is telling High, you know, to to check out his son because he knows his letters, and it does a slow tilt up on the boy who is scrawling on High's wall. Fart, <laughs> and and the setup of that joke is is priceless because it's such a highbrow joke. You expect that this kid is going to show you something wonderful, and it ends ultimately in a fart joke, which <laughs> right. uh, is just brilliant. It is really yep. just brilliant. A lot of kids in this film, and uh, in particular, the Arizona Quince uh, wasn't just five; is fifteen, uh, and I love this bit that we kept fi- we kept firing babies. And it was right. so sad because they never even knew they were being fired, says Joel Cohen, uh, because they kept learning how to walk. And uh, that that is enough to get a baby fired in a movie where babies have to crawl.
1: That's right. Uh,
0: uh, but but I, I, you know, found myself staring sideways at this sort of, uh, I don't know, what do they call it? The crazy, there's that, you know, the pageant family thing. What is that? Where you have your kids in pageants? I never did that. I was not I, a pageant yeah. kid. Yeah, uh, but where they they start strapping the baby's shoes on backwards so that they can't walk, right? Reminded me uncomfortably of misery. <laughs> That's all. That was my little tie-in.
1: That's funny. You know, I actually met the uh, the grown Nathan Junior. You did not. Uh, yeah, I, I, there was a, a film event where, or a new theater had opened up, and and they were playing a whole bunch of different films. One of which was Raising Arizona, and when they'd opened and. And uh, the grown Nathan Jr., uh, T.J. Kuhn, was there. Actually, it was him and one of his brothers, I think, that uh, were two of the, the pair that had played him a little bit. And so uh, it was kind of funny. You could, you could see the resemblance. It was interesting.
0: <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. That is pretty funny. Uh, breakthrough performances for Holly Hunter in this film? Yeah.
1: This is her first, uh, her first big role
0: she uh you know we've talked about her a little bit in uh context of Francis McDormand as we talked about at the other Cohen films uh she was roommates uh with Francis McDormand um uh, and um i guess that was several years they'd been roommates for several years but uh this was was her first film and and marked the uh, start of a wonderful career i had not seen this film when i saw broadcast news which came out right after uh this one and and went backwards Uh, Um, but I, I found myself remarking she's one of those actresses that it, 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 this did not feel like a first film. Do you know what I mean? Like she, she felt established right from the beginning.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting when you look at somebody as brilliant as Holly Hunter, uh, like their first film, you can just see, oh yeah, she was born to be doing this. Yeah. Right. Right. She's just,
0: she's just fantastic as the, the sort of. Uh, this, the, the vaudevillian sadness that she channels as this, uh, as this wannabe mother is is just perfect.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: just perfect. Uh, this is a Nicolas Cage movie that I uh, I like.
1: Yeah, I mean he has some good movies. He really does, and this is one of them. One of the, you know, I think that most of his good movies may be in the eighties and nineties. <laughs> Yeah. He's got a few that have snuck through, but uh, yeah, this is definitely one of the one of the best.
0: So, in their portrayal as high and ed, what is it that you think makes them so relatable to you? Uh,
1: you know, it's it's the imperfect nature of their relationship. I mean, he's a criminal uh, trying to, you know, go clean. She's a uh, a police officer, and. They by nature, automatically, uh, there's this uh, this yin yang of that relationship, just of their roles. and uh, and then this just the, everything about their relationship just just is full of issues that people deal with, problems. and and as a couple, they're always having to deal with it, whether it's just uh, you know, having to uh, or dealing with the fact that they can't have kids. Uh, to like once they've kidnapped this child, you know, learning things like you know, getting your shots and and uh, your pediatrician, and dip-tet. Kinda, yeah, getting your dip tet because you know you don't want to get uh, lockjaw. <laughs> you have your dip tet. <laughs> you uh, it's uh and and so they cre- they've created this uh, this great relationship of people who just feel uh, feel imperfect and feel like they are working to make things work and i think that's what makes it them kind of an, an indelible uh couple
0: the you know i want to I, I want you to reflect for me uh on the open of this film right the first like 5 minutes pre-credits mm-hmm. right uh, before the title card hits right the, there is like a uh, a speedboat ramp up for this film that gets you get you into the story where we meet high we see their romance as uh, you know as it meets and as they meet one another in the lineup she's photographing him for his um, uh, f- for his prison shot right. Mm-hmm. and they th- he woos her over the course of being arrested several times we see him in in group therapy in prison uh and we hear him through voiceover um talk about um you know his experience of of meeting her and how they get to, to catch us up to today um reflect a little bit for me on that that section of the script because it's it's one that if if there is use for a a really solid voiceover structurally this this makes me stand up and and like applaud i I love the the opening of this film what what is the function of that and and you know why is it so great?
1: well I think you were right in in giving it a sense of kind of it's almost like this speed ramp to the story i mean it's it's this almost i mean it really is kind of a pre credit sequence like you said it's eleven minutes long and it gives us the whole setup of their relationship all the problems with their relationship and just just everything leading up to the decision of, of kidnapping this child. And it moves so fast and the pace of it is, is just very invigorating and it puts you right in, in uh, line for what you're going to expect the rest of the story. And when you're doing a pre-credit sequence, I mean, it's, it is just one of those things that you need to, uh, I mean, it's got to hook people in and this Really sets the stage of the world that we're going to be entering and hooks people in in a very uh, in a very uh, effective way, and I think that's what they were going for here. And I mean, it's a comedy you have to you have to be getting people to laugh, and right out of the gate is the best way to do it. And they they pretty much set it up that way with just all the all the motifs that they have, whether it's the the little verbal motifs, you know, the the uh, turn to the right. And uh, the guy who's always don't forget don't forget his profile, Ed, and who's always coming in like he keeps having additional things for her to say, and the okay then, and and just all of the the, the cyclical nature of everything that we have going on there. It really uh, it just taps us into these characters and their story and sets us up for the the genre and and the pace and uh, and what we're going to be sitting in the theater for for the next. Uh, uh, 80 minutes.
0: It's, there is a certain amount of just artistry and, and I have to imagine a mercenary sense of editorial responsibility to, to craft that first 11 minutes. And I, I didn't make note of the, of the time as I was watching the film, but I, you know, I just said, talk about the first five minutes. I think that's a real sense of how great that opening 11 minutes is. It feels like five or less. Like it, it really feels, uh, like you're, you're in the story and, and, um, uh, it it moves so briskly um, to to get us up to speed functionally, uh, but the other thing it does, I think, and we've talked about this with some other movies that share a similar tone, and I'm I'm even going to throw films like Big Fish in, into this mix. And I know you you aren't as crazy about that as I am, but but it's this idea that it gives us a sense of the fairy tale and the whimsy uh, right up front. Like you say, it builds the world, and this this you know I think it's a testament to how great pacing and cutting can be for world building
1: yeah absolutely it's a huge part of it because the world building is not just the world of uh the characters as they're living it but it's also the world as the audience is going to be experiencing it
0: yes yes and that
1: and that is a key element, and and you know it's like something that Baz Luhrmann also does, like in uh, Moulin Rouge or something, where you've got that intense, uh, you know, crazy whirlwind editing storytelling structure that he has, and uh, you know some people have a hard time uh, going along for the ride. You really got to kind of. Uh, jump into it. It, it he thrusts you into it and that's exactly what the Coens do here you really have to be ready to take this ride with them it, that's the the nature of world building of creating this uh this cinematic world uh within the story and that your audience is going to experience and that's what the Coens do really well here
0: i totally agree with that uh, what what else stands out to you? Do you want to? How do you how do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about uh, any other folks in particular uh, before we get into more Cohen talk?
1: Well, I we should mention Trey Wilson, who's great as Nathan Arizona. Uh, he's so funny in the role of Nathan Arizona. I just uh, I'm I, I love him as this character who is trying to get his son back, and he's. He's just, uh, his wit, his sarcasm is just great. And when he's dealing with the cops, is fantastic. We've talked about him before. Uh, he was in... Um, Bull Durham. Uh, Bull Durham, right. And, uh, and then we also talked about him with Miller's Crossing because he was supposed to be in Miller's Crossing right. and ended up uh, uh, passing away a few days before they were going to shoot that. So uh, very tragic, but uh, he is just great in this.
0: Young, young, young.
1: Yeah, he was forty. Older forty, yeah. Uh, Which is crazy because when I look at him, he he strikes me as older than forty. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's because I'm forty-one. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> I was just gonna say that because you you you're you're lapping him <laughs> that's now. Crazy. Damn it! Uh, cerebral <laughs> hemorrhage. Almost uh, 41, uh, forty-one himself.
1: I am really yeah, sad. Yeah, yeah
0: uh anyway you're right he is a he was a fantastic part in this film and i i think the um uh, the uh, you know the meeting at the end when they're returning the baby uh is is a particularly good scene for him you know because you get this sort of sense of uh, they they talk you get this sense of understanding he actually tries to to um uh sort of outmaneuver the uh the reward uh at first and tries to offer them uh, offer them furniture, right? Uh, but then the 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 sort of art of the scene and the the sort of vector of the scene tilts, and you it, he becomes uh, he he just starts walking away and he leaves them these people who he now knows had kidnapped his son. He leaves them in the room, and tells them to go out the way they came in. And I love that uh, I, I love the way uh, the way that the scene turns because uh, it it is at once his way of showing understanding to their, to, to what this young family was trying to do. Right. And at one point in the scene, I, I honestly feel even now, I feel like maybe this time he's just going to let him keep a baby. <laughs> right. There's, there's that little bit. But the other piece is that where that, you know, where the film tilts there is that we see that socioeconomically, socially, These people, no matter how hard they've worked over the last, you know, 75 minutes, uh, they are not going to make it up this ladder, right? They're not going to, and they're going to have to climb out the window because they're not even good enough to go down the stairs and out the door. They literally have to climb down the ladder uh, that they used to try to break themselves out of this, you know, this social um, prison Right. And I, I love that. I love the way that, that little three-way scene um turns.
1: Yeah, it is very touching. And uh you're right, as somebody whose child has just um I mean, was kidnapped and was just returned, he, he's very um
0: remarkably uh, cool.
1: Uh, yeah, very understanding, and there's there's this hint that he gets it. And uh but even even though he gets it like you said, he makes them climb back down to their own uh social status. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it, it is a beautiful way that that scene is constructed.
0: Um, talk about the the Cohens just a little bit about the, you know, this is a comedy, but as you say, the premise of the film is dark. Um, how do you rationalize their body of work moving from the grim uh, tone of the other films we've talked about to these comedic pieces? Does that make sense to you, that they all came from the same place?
1: Well, uh, you know, only in the sense that they keep doing it. You know, I think that's why it makes sense to me. Momentum. They're they're very good at jumping back and forth. And I think it's, I mean, they've said, you know, they, uh, when they finished uh, Blood Simple, they wanted to do something that was uh, just very different. They wanted to try for something that um, was more fun. They wanted to just kind of do a big, broad comedy. And this was kind of the script that they ended up coming up with. And I think, to me, it strikes me as uh, a pair of filmmakers who really do like jumping back and forth across the line. And uh, they do very frequently. I mean, they're always going from comedy to, uh, to drama to comedy to drama. I and mean, they, they seem to always be doing that. And they do it really well. I, I shouldn't say they do it really well. They do it um, very frequently. I don't necessarily... uh, I I think that they have uh, a lot of films that I have problems with, but they also always are doing stuff fresh, and in general, I just really appreciate their body of work, even if I don't always like their films. But their comedies, I mean, they've got some just stinking funny stuff, and... Uh, if this was the only comedy that they had done, and then everything else was Blood Simple, Fargo, No Country for Old Men, A Serious Man, then I would be like, well, I don't know what happened there. But it's they they really balance it well, and it just it strikes me as people who. You know, I mean, they like to do the serious stuff, but then they also need to have a laugh once in a while. And so they go and make something like this.
0: Yeah. You know, I think that's the that's a kind of interesting um, twist for me is that that, you know, there are films and the way we've categorized them that they're they're You know, we've got the drama and the comedy, but that's not really fair, Uh, particularly when you look at films like, you know, Fargo, um, which there's you know, there's a lot of funny in that film.
1: Yeah, and it, also it's more I mean,
0: character funny, but it's funny,
1: right? Exactly, and I mean, Blood Simple certainly has its funny it's moments, absolutely, and, and but it also has noirish stuff, right. it, you know. The, so Bart, they Barton
0: Fink. There's another one, right?
1: Right. So they are jumping into lots of different genres um, quite regularly, and I think they do it really well, um, playing around with it. I mean, I think we're just kind of broadly separating it into just kind of comedy and drama. But you're right. You're absolutely right. It's it, there. There's a lot more going. I mean, even if you looked at their comedies, there's a big difference between "Raising Arizona" and "The Hudsucker Proxy," which feels very much kind of a a throwback to kind of the the kind of that 30s screwball comedy mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to the "Big Lebowski," or oh, "Brother Where Art Thou," the "Lady Killers," "Intolerable Cruelty." I mean, uh, burn after reading when they, there's always kind of different things that they're going for in their comedies themselves.
0: Right. Right um uh let's see who else do you want to talk about on this film the Well, usual suspects
1: i mean john goodman i think is uh this is his uh i believe uh his well it's his first appearance uh with the cohen's he would go on to do i think five films and then also i think he's got uh, some uncredited voiceover in uh in one of them i think in Hudsucker proxy he pops up as a news guy um so he's clearly somebody who they just love working with. He works well. He fits well in their films. I think he is such a great character actor. He creates such interesting presences that if you look at this versus what he does in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? or even Inside Lewin Davis, it's just it's amazing what John Goodman can do. I mean, he's, I think, just a, a rock-solid character performer, and uh, it's great to see him here. And this was like right before... He was uh, kind of had his breakout TV role in Roseanne, mm-hmm. that which t- is fascinating that me.
0: that came after.
1: I know. So, it, it, I always It always. I don't know why. I always think Roseanne happened first, but uh, yeah. man,
0: man, he was in all that. two hundred and twenty-one episodes that show ran, yeah, that's crazy.
1: And, oh, and that was even before. Well, it was a two hundred twenty-one that he was in. Or was that um, the run of the show?
0: That was, uh, gosh, those are his credits, right? I'm not sure. Well, because, it, because the show ran eighty-eight to ninety-seven. Is that right, or was it?
1: Well, because then in the last season, doesn't the last season happen after he left, and 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 they play it like he died, and the whole thing is like this.
0: Oh, real downer.
1: Weird, tragic. Yeah, you know, I can I can't remember. I know there was some strange thing with the uh, end of Roseanne. I, I, I had stopped watching it by that point, but it
0: shows it, it credits him on the Roseanne uh, IMDB page. At least it credits him as 221 episodes. I don't remember any of the last season, but I, at least it looks like when you look at the other characters that were not in those seasons, they are actually credited as like Johnny Galecki is, is in there for 93 episodes. Um, So.
1: Interesting. I,
0: I didn't, I don't remember the last season. I can that that what? I, why would you do that to a sitcom?
1: Well, they were trying to do something unique, and I so I, I,
0: dumb. Well,
1: they did something unique, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, William Forsyth, I think, is is a comedy. Just works so well with him, and he just doesn't do a lot of comedy. He is like, uh, you know, I mean, I always see him in things like The Devil's Rejects and yeah. Halloween, the Halloween remake, and. I don't know. I, I kind of wish that uh, he would do some more of this stuff because I William Forsyth is great playing this sort of role.
0: I could not agree more. And he does he does have a that that sort of criminal vibe or that you know corrupt vibe to him. Um, yeah. You know. But my goodness, and when you look at the I, I mean, I, looking at what he has completed and in in, in post production, I can, I don't think there's a single one that isn't that same kind of character. If there is a guy who has been typecast, it's it's this guy, I wish he would have been typecast as something funny. Uh, I know because he is just really, really gifted.
1: He really is. He's so good. And Sam McMurray is another just hilarious guy who's who's great as Glenn. And I grew up with him on the Tracy Ullman show, and I, I that was like I watched that religiously. And and he, everybody on that show was great. But you know, I was just remember him from that show. He was great, and uh, it's it's just so fun. Uh, he plays glenn so well uh, you know that's that's something that's also worth talking about is the way that the cohens often write their characters a lot of people um you know typify the cohen characters as being uh dumb and kind of writing these kind of dumb characters whether it's something like this or fargo you kind of get these these people who often are kind of i don't know not that bright and I don't know. I mean, what's your take on that? Do you think that they're just not bright characters? Or do you think that it's just part of the way that they're written?
0: Um. Well, I guess isn't that one and the same? I I don't my I I don't feel I, I, I. This is such a matter of perspective, right? I mean, it really it really comes down to your sort of experience and and like I you know, I got these people in my family.
1: Well, uh, see, that's that, And maybe I didn't I didn't uh, express my thought very well or my question to you very well, but I mean I I think there is something interesting about the idea of dumb characters versus the idea of realistic characters who just aren't always using their heads, yeah. you know. Yeah, and I and, think
0: that's true and I think you're right because in this film in particular, we get these caricatures of um uh, the the opposite ends of that spectrum, right? We yeah. have High, who is uh, who makes bad decisions, but his intentions are pure, and he is not i I don't think lampooned right, right? Uh, where we get with Sam McMurray's character, uh, we get this character who is also a caricature of of a you know a, a character in a certain socioeconomic and social class, but he is lampooned. Right, he's lampooned yeah. when we see him get hit in the face with a purse. We see him uh, lampooned kind of every which way. Uh, you know, what, just the things they, the words they put in his mouth are enough to to make you look at him and just kind of slap your forehead. But those are characters in the same film on the same screen, and they are in the same you know same setting, and yet they represent completely different interpretations of these characters. One you could say is dumb, and the other you could say is striving
1: well and and the dumb character is also clearly written that way to be an example for what uh high and Ed think they want, but then when they're actually hanging out with them and you see just the way they raise their children and just the i mean the the awful nature of pretty much everything that comes out of Glenn's mouth, you really get a sense that you know these are as as highbrow, or you know, the the great middle class, whatever you're at and high are going to see in these people, decent people, they're really not. And I think that's part of the joke of, yes. of writing the characters this way.
0: Totally agree. Totally agree. And I think that's part of the a part of the craft of it is being able to put these characters on screen at the same time and make you feel so differently about each one.
1: Yeah. And I think that holds true with all of their scripts. When, anytime someone says, "Oh, the characters are always just written so, so the, such such uh, idiots," mm-hmm. I, I don't think so. I think it's just the nature of the way people can be.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And and I think you know that's that's one of the things even in their, in the Coens dramatic pieces or their sort of crime pieces the you know even with the violent pieces you know what we what we see are is an exploration of this this life that we don't that that most people don't experience right yeah. it's their interpretation of characters that m- most people don't day to day run into that doesn't necessarily make them uh, that doesn't have to make them dumb. It just has to make them foreign. Yes. All right. Well, we've got that
1: settled. Absolutely.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, What else? Who else do you want to talk about?
1: Well, we should mention good old Barry Sonnenfeld.
0: We should, shouldn't we?
1: His stuff, uh, again, we've mentioned it before. He has a camera that is constantly alive, and he's always doing interesting things with it. There's a lot of uh, POVs that he um adopts in the film as as we get POVs of the babies when he's in, when high is in the room trying to figure out which of the quints to steal we get these great POVs of the babies we get POVs of of high and 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 just a lot of different people as the camera's jumping around to kind of give it the, give us these different perspectives and uh and then you just get some great movement as things move around and there's of course the great evil dead shot as uh you know when when High is having his nightmare of the lone biker of the apocalypse uh, as and his arrival, you've got that great shot, kind of zooming uh, just over the landscape, over the car, over the the fountain, and then up the ladder into the baby's room, right up into uh, Florence Arizona's face as she realizes that baby is gone and turns and screams right into the camera. I mean, it's just a fantastic, yeah. you know, total Evil Dead moment there.
0: It's absolutely great. Uh, you know his. Really dramatic, unsubtle use of cranes uh, in in this film. I think are another. It's another. Um It's another tool to establish just the sort of barrenness of the of the setting, and the the, you know, I you want to sort of say poverty, uh, but the the angles he chooses when he's on these cranes, you know, I from the very opening sequence we get the high crane shot over the Seven Eleven that he's you know he's trying to rob, and when he's stuck outside the car (laughs) because the doors are locked, uh, you know, it just gives you a sense of of perspective uh, that is, um, you know, like you say, it's wonderfully alive. And and very active camera. I, I, it's 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 a it's a ride.
1: Yeah, it's it's just uh, it's a live filmmaking. And I think you know this. Um, Edgar Wright, who we've talked about, um, lists "Raising Arizona" as I believe his favorite film. And you can see what he kind of adapted from their filmmaking style and Barry Sonnenfeld's. Uh, cinematography style into his own films because he also has become a director who really enjoys making the camera alive and uh, using it as a key part of his storytelling
0: well and i think nowhere is that more apparent uh, than the world's end Uh, you know where you can see i I mean just like spot-on technique Uh, in in putting the camera in places that you wouldn't expect to be able to get a sense of scope uh, in in unique ways. And and The World's End is a really uh, wonderful piece for that because it's like a diorama because all of these bars are kind of in... They're, they're so close to one another, and, and, you know, you get a sense of the width of the of the sort of the playground that we're going to be experiencing over the course of the film, and, and um, uh, then into the more intimate shots like the fight in the bathroom, where it, it, he does just a fantastic job giving you a sense of place uh, by, by moving the camera in, in, in um, just really unique fashion. So I, you can really see that uh, coming from this uh, as an homage almost
1: yes yeah yeah absolutely
0: carter burwell
1: you know the um uh the yodeling in this is <laughs> i think iconic yeah. and uh, uh i mean it, it makes me yodel every time i watch this movie i end up yodeling and and uh it, it's such a fun score to listen to i mean and the, there's uh, some tracks on the soundtrack that are just very kind of just working working for the scene. But you, you hit the yodeling stuff, and it just it comes to life. And it's it, this vibrant thing, again, going back to the whole idea of creating this world for the audience to, to get into. And this is the world of these characters. And it's a very funny world because it takes place in Arizona, and that's where I live. Nobody speaks this way. Like, th- this kind of almost southern accent, nobody speaks that way. And, you know, it's and nobody walks around yodeling, but it just it, it does kind of create this vibe for this this quote unquote Arizona in which this story takes place.
0: What the the theme song, the yodeling, mm-hmm. Slim, Slim Whitman,
1: Slim Whitman,
0: is that Slim Whitman? I don't know. It's, I'm trying to sort of piece it together. Um, who Who did the yodeling on that soundtrack?
1: The yodeling is John R. Crowder.
0: John Crowder. Okay.
1: Yes, he's what, he's the guy who did all the the yodeling. He did it. all the yodeling.
0: Okay. Yeah. So am I crazy or has this has the theme song since been corrupted in a car commercial?
1: Hmm. I don't know. I you know it's it's that that actual uh the track that they uh that he's singing or he's yodeling, John Crowder is yodeling is actually taken from Um, other older pieces and I I think that some of it might be a a Pete Seeger song called Goofing Off, the Goofing Off Suite, Um, but also I feel like I have actually heard that, that kind of yodel from something that came from like the 20s or something. I mean, I feel like that the actual main theme is something that has been around for a while, and that Burwell adapted it into his score okay i don't I don't have any evidence of that
0: i you know i was just you, you know i you search for stuff and right. I found a reference on Twitter to somebody who pointed to the original, which and that's where I got slim Whitman that was maybe the original was um was the yodeling was done by slim whitman and that perhaps is what has been used by it. if anybody knows i am i am more curious uh, deep down i really don't want to know uh but I, <laughs> it sounds so familiar to me not from this film that it was used in some sort of a some sort of an automotive pitch that's what i'm feeling interesting i think it's a car commercial
1: all i right. just don't know I all just right don't
0: know uh well, set design it is
1: it, is, it, it well, I was going to say it is great and the funny thing uh before we jump into set design is I was looking up um uh just trying to find information about John R Crowder and I actually found an interview in uh, badass digest at badassdigest.com from uh July of last year where they tracked him down and did an interview with him and uh, it just uh, it's it's kind of interesting, just kind of you know how he came into the whole thing, but the the strangest thing is that John R. Crowder now lives the quiet life of a mole wrangler. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, yeah, excellent. Not, not even sure what goes into that, but uh, yeah, he's a he's a farmer. He's got a little mole farm in eastern Oklahoma now. Wow, I know how how life takes you you know on Indeed. these different paths the twists and turns yes
0: uh so i just, you know i wanted to talk just a minute about the production design uh you know i i just i think this, <laughs> this this film what the production and and art design of this film uh does for the set is is the same thing that these that they do in the script giving these characters these dumb characters right i mean you you really get the feel for where the choices these characters make in what they drive and what they do and the uh, and and how they live and and how that works as a contrast uh to what they actually do with their lives day to day Mm -hmm. right i mean I i feel like it is just so it's such a beautiful uh exploration of um the the gap that exists between the trailer park essentially the the house on you know on stilts in the middle of the desert to the the arizona's uh, you know back window right climbing up that ladder i think it's just really beautifully done and and uh, that goes, credit goes to robert crake and harold thrasher jane. and jane muskie
1: yeah and uh, the I, I completely agree i think that they've always tapped into the right people for their production yeah. design and jane muskie's actually been working with them for a long uh, time for a long time but the um, uh, just an interesting little side note, which is uh, I think for me, I find it more interesting, um, because I live here and this film was filmed here. Watching the credits, I realize how many people that I still work with, um, you know, on a day to day basis actually worked on this film, and it's very strange. I mean, I really? counted at least. At least 10 people in the credits, uh, including one who works in the art department, who actually uh, was uh, working, uh, still works with them uh, regularly. She worked with them on uh, No Country for Old Men. So uh, she's kind of created a, a good working relationship with them and keeps uh, working with the Coens on all the stuff that they do.
0: That's pretty funny. Yeah. Oh, Arizona.
1: <laughs> anything,
0: yeah. anything else you want to tap into uh, before we get to the rinkin'?
1: well, you know just a a couple last little things the um that i, I think were' funny is uh the uh i don't i don't know why I think this is funny but when when high stills the diapers. And goes on the run and is running through the store. The reaction that the police have to just open fire right away. <laughs> just, and then just this constant shooting of the cops as, as they're trying to yeah. stop him. I just laugh and I go, oh, Arizona because uh, I mean it is a right to carry state and it's I mean it is this very weird cowboy thing and I you know in 1987 I don't know if they were tapping into that or, or wh- if they just wanted to write it that way but it's funny how even now it still feels very modern sensibility of Arizona which is kind of <laughs> that's maybe funny. a little frightening
0: <laughs> that's funny I I can't uh, you know that you're right it's almost like it's it's predictive uh, yeah, right.
1: screenwriting right
0: uh, that you know i i I can't imagine I mean maybe they were tapping into something back then. I have no memory of it uh and and I wasn't spending a whole lot of time in Arizona when this film came out but um but you're right, it does feel very modern. that's a great way to put it
1: yeah it's it's very strange uh one other random name in the credits that's worth mentioning is uh I can't remember what, how they credit it at the end, but it's like uh, and the wonderful voice of William Preston Robertson. Um, he had a, a very similar credit in uh, in Blood Simple. He's a, an old friend of the Coen's, and he ended up coming and helping them on Blood Simple, and he was the voice of the radio evangelist. And they list him, I, I think, in there as the Reverend William Preston Robertson. Here it's just in the wonderful voice of William Preston Robertson. I, somewhere in the film, I guess he actually, they ended up doing this with a number of their films, and I don't know how far, if it was all the way up through Big Lebowski or if they've continued but they were would find a way to just get his voice in there somewhere and so I think that's just a very funny thing I'd love to know where his voice pops up in this but apparently it does somewhere that's pretty funny
0: I was just noticing at the end of the credits speaking of credits where it talks about where the film was where the film was filmed Mm -hmm. filmed on location in the valley of the sun Arizona a great place to raise your kids. I know.
1: I wrote that down too. I thought that was very funny to see. I'm just, uh, I don't know. I I was like, I wonder if they put that there or if that was something like at the time, the Arizona state film commission, like had you put, I, I don't know, but it was a very funny thing to see. Right. Exactly.
0: It was like a preemptive kind of uh, a response. Right. Exactly. Actually. So the film commission actually saw to the actual uh, story. Yep. In- interesting note that everyone in this film cries at some point with the exception of any babies
1: yeah and i you know i'd have to look at that again because i saw that and i was just like did they really I like, i couldn't remember all of them crying but yeah. maybe they do so yeah
0: well a, you funny. know some of them are really really outlandish crying the the bit of the 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 sort of the the crying climax Uh Uh, at the film when Goodman Goodman and brother are off to rescue the (laughs) baby that keeps falling off the car. (laughs) Which is so brilliant because they have such an emotional love for this child, and yet they don't have a very practical love.
1: No. They keep forgetting the kid. (laughs) They're so completely inept. It is very funny. Uh, so funny. Beautiful.
0: Uh, What else? Yeah.
1: The last little thing that I wanted to just mention is how, like, I, I was looking at a site that detailed all the different locations in the Valley of the Sun where this was filmed, and without ever having realized it, the uh, the first place that I moved to when I moved to Arizona was just down the street from the uh, the shortstop grocery store, where uh, which was is now a Circle K, but at the time I guess that was the grocery store where high is running through, and uh, and uh, <laughs> And I didn't realize that I lived practically just down the street from it. So it's <laughs> funny. I know. You,
0: you don't even have to go very far to go on a film vacation.
1: I know. I, I kind of want to now. I might take I might take a little just take a little uh, drive. Movie vacation and tour the sites. Just get selfies in <laughs> every every site. That's right. <laughs> Check it out. Here's the Lagrange Farmer Bank. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, it's good. That's good. good Shall we? How did it? Uh, how did it do?
1: Uh, you know, it uh, it it was a slow burn. This film did not click with audiences. Maybe a lot of them were like my uh, ex stepmother, who were offended by the idea of a comedy about uh, kidnappings. Who knows?
0: And they're but... all divorced now. <laughs>
1: oh, exactly. <laughs> uh, this film cost uh, you know five to six million dollars to make. And, uh, you know, which is about $12.5 million uh, adjusted for today. And adjusted, it ended up uh, making domestically about uh, $46.8 million and internationally about $12.9 million. So total adjusted gross is about uh, almost almost $60 million. And so when you look at profit per finished minute, it was about $505,000 per finished minute. It was a slow burn. Um it still made money. It still did well for itself and considering it was a, uh, you know, kind considered kind of a low budget indie film, it actually uh, you know, it's uh it was a good start for them, a good second uh, step. And uh and it really has gone on to be kind of a, a cult film and I think that the love for it has only continued to grow and I'm sure the money has continued to increase.
0: I'm I'm sure of that too. Mhm. Uh, residuals. Ah, yes. I think we should rank it. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel and uh, see if our movie favorites line up with your movie favorites as we get ready to rank this fantastic film and see if it's going to break. Ooh. Let's see if it'll break the top 10. You think top 10? I was going to say top 20, but I may be chickening out.
1: You might be chickening out.
0: All right, we'll say top 10. Let's see if it does it. I All do. Right. I do agree with you. I like this movie an awful lot.
1: I, yes. I, I. Yeah, it's a good one. All right, raising Arizona or Carrie? Carrie,
0: not that mother scratcher.
1: <laughs> uh, raising Arizona. Yeah. Uh, raising Arizona or Twelve Monkeys? I'm gonna say Raising Arizona. I am too. Raising Arizona or Misery?
0: I'm gonna still say raising Arizona.
1: Yep, here, here. Raising Arizona or stand by me.
0: Raising Arizona.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Raising Arizona or Alien. I'm going to say raising Arizona. (laughs) I know. I know. But it's true. Just I know. Are you sure? I am. I have watched *Raising Arizona*. It's it's on my list of films I've seen, you know, well over fifty times, and it's just a film that uh, I will be uh, sitting on my desert island with one day. Wow! I know.
0: Okay, I'm gonna give this one to you, but just know that something may be coming where I'm gonna come back for you.
1: I don't even know what that means but... <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, Raising Arizona or seven?
0: Oh, I might have to say Raising Arizona
1: funny yeah I'm really torn on this one but I might say Raising Arizona too which is crazy talk but okay uh, I, I do love that movie some Raising Arizona or Network
0: Network Boom! You just had it right here. <laughs> That's it.
1: Uh, I will give you a network. I'm even calling, I'm calling it in. Raising Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, my, my! How did Brazil end up at number ten and Raising Arizona at number two? That is bananas. Ah, <laughs> uh, but you know what? I love this movie. Totally I, worth it. I, I, totally okay with it being number two out of 157 on our list. <laughs> I like seeing some shake up in the
0: top 10. i I'm tell- It was getting a little stale there for a while.
1: Yeah, it hasn't changed in a while. But, you know, that's what top 10s are for. <laughs> that's
0: what top 10s are
1: <laughs> for. All
0: right, my man. That
1: was a uh, that was a good conversation.
0: Absolutely. I appreciate Fantastic. that. Uh, I, you know... I gotta go to bed. Oh, wait. No, no. Before we do that, no. before I go to bed, what are we doing next no. week?
1: Next week, we're continuing our uh, Coen Brothers comedies with The Big Lebowski, your favorite. <sighs>
0: yeah. <laughs> this is... I. You know, now that we've talked about this movie, I'm really looking forward to Lebowski.
1: Um, How many times have you seen it?
0: Twice. That's it.
1: It's a film that grows on you. You think, I, you think I, three I, times? I, I, I didn't care for it very much when I saw it in theaters. I was like, well, that was really kind of odd. Do you like it more and
0: than than uh, Raising Arizona?
1: Absolutely not. Okay. But but I really enjoy the Big Lebowski. And it's it's just over time I have grown to appreciate its humor and I've kind of tapped into it a lot more and now I'm really in line with what they're doing in that film and I I do love it.
0: Okay. All right, I'm going to I'm I'm going into this with an open mind excellent
1: that's what I wanted to hear
0: I still think it's pretty dumb right now it's dumb <laughs> okay. but, but open mind no, no bias mind. it's a piece of All crap right. but it's but open mind <laughs> totally open mind junk film but totally willing to give it a fair shake wow I might sleep through some of it but really I want to I want to pay I want to be a part of this conversation so I'm going to do due diligence <laughs> good I gotta go to bed.
1: I'm gonna go do my uh, yodeling in the backyard, wake up some neighbors.
0: I'm, I'm I'm going to be do, do it, reading the review of Sestmoy, which I think they were going for C'est Moi, but they didn't <laughs> use spaces or an apostrophe. So nice. it's Sestmoy. The first 30 minutes are funny and enjoyable, mostly due to tickling and witty dialogues. The rest is boring. The film goes south when the two... <laughs> I don't remember any tickling. <laughs> I was like, the, fil- the film goes south when the two friends of Nicholas escaped from the prison and visited him in his home. Since then, there are only a couple of hilarious scenes. One is where the boss suggested wife swapping, the other is when the kids of the boss wrecked his home. It gets worse when the bounty hunter started to track Nicholas down. The imagination is so wild that it's not interesting anymore. And here's the kicker anybody who is expecting a child or wants to have one should watch this. It realistically and funnily portraits part of the difficulty of raising a child.
1: (laughs) So you we both have
0: two kids. I mean, do you feel like it realistically and funnily portraits part of the difficulty of raising your children?
1: I feel like I'm a better parent because of it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know you are. What's yours?
1: I'm going to go uh, with the one star by Elite Lamo, who wrote, "Arg, arg, arg." That is all you hear for the entire movie. Arg, <laughs> arg, arg. STFU. Horrible. <laughs> horrible film, screaming and doltness and incoherent dialogue, and I felt like I was watching it in a Walmart with some beer-guzzling Costco family. And, well, oh, I see. It's an early Cohen film. Ah, well, now it all makes sense. Yeah, those Cohen leeching yuppie pseudo-film hipsters who idolize the Coens like their own deity. Yep, <laughs> perhaps one of the worst films I have ever seen. Five stars people give this? L-M-F-A-O. <laughs> wow. Oh vitriolic! Wow. (sighs) Somebody, Bubba Zanetti replied. Maybe you should stop writing reviews while you're drunk.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Amazon. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I have tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022.